Hi, we're the ladies of LifeSight, and we're so glad you're here. We're ladies simply navigating the challenges and triumphs of this modern culture as moms, wives, sisters, and daughters. Join us each week as we discuss the raw questions and situations that we face every day from our unique perspectives. So grab your cup of coffee, tea, or beverage of choice, and let's dive into this week's episode. Welcome to this week's episode of Ladies of LifeSight. I'm Rebecca, and I just want to thank you for joining us this week. Um, I am currently sipping on some Sierra Mist this week because that pregnancy nausea is hitting pretty hard, but I hope that you've got something yummy and maybe even a pile of laundry to fold while we dive into this week's conversation with Elizabeth Johnston. Um, You might know her better as Activist Mommy, as she was known for many years, Um, But she's written many blogs, recorded many video responses, and even written some books on kind of the craziness that we're seeing in today's society. So we're seeing those attacks from every angle. Obviously, life and pro-life has been attacked for so long. The attacks on the family are increasing. um, And we're even seeing some additional persecution of the church and on Christians. So um, I'm sure that Elizabeth has a lot to share over the last several years. Um, So I just want to thank you for joining us today, Elizabeth. Hi, ladies. It's so great to be with you. I have been an avid reader of LifeSite News for years and so appreciate the work that you do for the unborn. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, I know that all of us were kind of chatting a little bit earlier about how we're all pretty amazed about what you're doing. Um, I'm sure you've gotten this question quite a bit, and you're probably thinking to yourself, well, you just you just do it. You just get it done. Um, but seriously, I'd love to kind of hear a little bit about how you make things work being an activist, a mom, a wife. How does that work for you? I barely get it done, just like you guys, <laughs> one day at a time. Lots of multitasking, uh, lots of deciding every day what can wait and what cannot wait, (laughs) prioritizing and uh, never intended on being a public figure. I was just super, super happy, content homeschool mom with 10 children who I have for the last 20 years homeschooled. And my days were cooking and cleaning and diaper changing and nursing babies and teaching um, phonics and math and whatnot, running my children to music lessons And that is what I thought um, my entire life was going to be like and uh, really never dreamed that I would even have a a platform or be considered a public figure or speaker or anything like that. And uh, God just opened up doors, door after door for me as I began to apply what the Bible says to cultural issues. Uh, whether it was through a video or blog post, I, um, I started doing these things and it, it really blew up because people are hungry in our, our culture for a bold and biblical response to these issues. Uh, they're tired of leaders and pastors and whatnot, you know, being, being scared and just operating in fear of man and not being willing to rise up and say, you know what, this is wrong and I'm not going to be scared to say that. And so it just turned into something I never, never dreamed it would. But, um, and so that's when you start having to figure out, okay, wait a minute, how do I, how do I manage all of this? (laughs) 
And uh, like I said, we've just taken it one day at a time. Some days go great and smooth and others are a disaster. I'm just like all of you moms out there. <laughs> right now, I'm, I'm sitting on my bed in my bedroom. My door is locked. I've got uh, some kids outside rollerblading. Um, I can hear the other kids' voices in the kitchen. You know, there's just always a lot of bustle and um, and noise around my house, which is the way I love it. I don't know any other way. I can't stand a quiet house. <laughs> That's great. So you talked about how you just kind of fell into it. Was there maybe a specific moment that you kind of just said, I can't be silent about this anymore? Or was it just kind of, I don't know, it just happened and, and it just continued to grow? When... Um, Security guards started getting arrested for telling 200-pound men that they could not be in a female's bathroom where my little daughters were going to be. Um, and I was reading news stories of people that were doing the right thing, like security guards saying, sir, please, you're, you know, you're a man. Get out of the, the women's bathroom or the women's shower room or the women's um, dressing room where they're trying on clothes, whatever. And they were being penalized for that <laughs> I said okay this is a twilight zone I no longer recognize my country this is super dangerous my daughters don't even know when they walk into a locker room at the YMCA a shower room what they're going to be met with and if a 200 pound man is going to be allowed to stay in there because he claims that he's a female I said you know, oh crap, basically, I need to get off of the sidelines and get on the front lines because this is a war for our families. This is an all out culture war um, to, to rob us of our parental rights, the right to say no to these things, the right to say, you know, my child deserves safety. Uh, that was one of the things that really um, I began to address. And, you know, a lot of that content went viral. And that began um, a, a pretty consistent mission that I've had over throughout the last four or five years. We had already been pro active in the pro-life um, pro life work really for 20 years. Ever since my, I've been a mother, we have taken our children out to abortion clinics to um, to pray and to worship. We'll take a guitar out and we'll just pray and make ourselves available. We will ask, you know, the spirit of God to come and be with us there outside on the sidewalks of the abortion clinic. Ask the spirit of the Lord to convict the women going in and the men going in to please not allow their babies to be killed and just make ourselves available. Maybe have some um, tracts in our hands, some, some literature that shows the development of uh, babies uh, shows pictures of them so that when a six week, you know, a, a mom who's six weeks pregnant pulls in and wants to take our literature, she can actually see what the baby growing inside of her looks like. And we just began to see women choose life for their babies. And it was, um, it was super life changing for us and for our children to, to watch, uh, to watch us minister in that way and to see us throw baby showers for women who choose life and, and whatnot. So that's something we've done. Um, our, are just ever since I've been a mom. How did your kids get involved? Were they just out there like singing with you or, or how did they, how did you get them involved in all of that? Yeah. You know, we have just kind of avoided any type of ministry that we really couldn't do with our family. I have always felt very strongly that if your ministry and your mission takes you away from your children a lot, that maybe it's not the right season for you. 
And so we pretty much didn't do ministry uh, unless it was something where we could take our kids. And that was something that we could do maybe on a Saturday uh, when we didn't have other plans. We would we would go out with our children, take them if the weather permitted, and um, they just loved it. I mean, like they would wake me up on Saturday and, Mom, why are you sleeping in? We need to get out there. I mean, my kids, they they're, they don't play video games and stuff. Honestly, they'd rather be doing life-changing work. And so to me, it's just a, a great mission to get involved with. There's so many missions. This is not the only one, obviously, although it's super important. Uh, but but there's so many ways you can get your children involved in life-changing work instead of sitting, you know, watching mind-numbing TV and playing mind-numbing video games. I highly recommend getting your kids out of the house and involved in mission work. There's, you know, whether it's the soup kitchen, whether it's, um, you know, going and volunteering at your crisis pregnancy center, whether it's going and buying some diapers and letting your kids walk those diapers into your pro-life pregnancy center, whatever it is, uh, certainly get your kids involved. But praying outside of the abortion clinics for us was something that really um, changed our kids' lives and that they really, really loved doing. So just take them. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And something you just said really kind of struck me, and I think maybe it uh, stuck out to a lot of our listeners, too, where you said, if a ministry takes you away from your kids and your family, then maybe it's not the right season for you to do that. That, I think, is really powerful because as a mom, there's so many things, you know, we want to do and we aspire to do. But, you know, first and foremost, we're mothers now. And so... I love what you said, because I've always kind of had this perspective of, especially in the pro-life world, we tell women, you know, your life doesn't have to end. You know, if you have this baby, you can still go on and pursue your career and everything, um, but you don't need to take the life of your child uh, in the meantime. And I think that's so powerful because there's so many moms out there, though, at the same on the other side of the coin where we almost feel like guilty if we try to get involved in ministry because we're moms. And it's like, but I I should spend this time with my family, but I really also want to make an impact and make a difference. So, you know, what would be kind of your message to moms out there who want to make a difference, who want to speak up on these cultural issues um, and what's going on in our nation and really help bring our nation back. But at the same time, they feel like, well, I'm just a mom. You know, what would you tell them um, some practical things that they could get out and do or ways that they could make a difference by being a mom other than, you know, bring your kids along with you? So this is like a soapbox of mine, actually. And I should probably hop up on this soapbox a little more frequently than I do with my platform. I think that there might be some confusion when people see me, you know, I'm 45 years old. Okay. I've already gone at 45. I've gone through 20 years of um, home birthing, nursing, homeschooling my children. And I'm still very much in the middle of homeschooling my children as my youngest child is five years old right now. But I want to make it very clear that my public ministry just started. Okay. Jesus's public ministry started when he was in his thirties. And we, we tend to think when we are in that season of um, birthing and we've got all these little stair step toddlers that we are constantly caring for. And there is just not a restful moment in the day. I have so been there and understand it on such a deep level. Um, I, I know what it's like to cry myself 
to sleep at night because I feel like a terrible mother and feel like I cannot give all of my children what they need. So I've so been there for your listener who is thinking she does not understand. I really do understand. And I, I did not desire to have a public platform during that season, but some of your listeners do. They desire to have a public platform. They know God has called them to more, and maybe they're struggling with contentment. And I don't know how many minutes we have left, but I would love to park it here for a few minutes because I feel like your listeners uh, are right here in this sweet spot, in this, this target group that we're addressing. I mean, look at my life, for instance. Here I am, 45. My ministry, public ministry just started, although my ministry began, you know, as, as soon as I became a Christian, and that goes for all of us. And I had a ministry as soon as I got married and started having children, and my ministry was my family. So that in and of itself is a full-time ministry, no guilt, <laughs> pour everything into your family and never feel guilty for that. If that is all you do and you do it well, to the glory of Jesus Christ, well done, good and faithful servant. That is all he cares about is that in your home, in the places where no one sees you, when you are changing diapers and homeschooling and, you know, working on your relationship with your spouse or whatever it is, that is all that matters is that you are being faithful where God has planted you, period, full stop no guilt. Okay. But then here I'm 45 and my public ministry has just started. And I have, I feel like I have still a lifetime of work to do. I have 20 years ahead of me, at least, if not more of plenty of work, plenty of evil to address in the world. It never ends, unfortunately. And, and I just got started guys. And I was really focused for 20 years on making sure that my family was the focus and that I did not volunteer for everything out there and pull myself away all the time. When I said homeschool, I really was a homeschooler. There are homeschoolers who really aren't homeschoolers. They are constantly out of the home and focused on doing other things and barely have time for their family. And so that was always a soapbox of mine and something I guarded really jealously. And because of it, I feel like that's why I'm able, ladies, to do what I'm doing right now. If, if you know, if I had all hell breaking loose with my children, I don't see how I would be able to do what I'm doing right now. And so pour the time in. It's just a season. I know it feels like it will never end, but it will end. And if you'll be faithful in this thing, oh, God is going to want to hand you something bigger. And so that would be my advice to your listeners. I know that took a while. Sorry about that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Amazing. I think even if our listeners didn't need to hear it, I did. <laughs> same here. Same here. And I love that you just that reminder of, you know, this is just a season and being faithful in the season that God has us in. Um, and I think that just is so powerful. I have been so impacted um, on a real personal level by the Lord in the last couple of years about how he sees what we are doing that no one else sees. Guys, this is not a game. This is not a joke. He is making decisions about our future based on the little mundane things that we are all doing. And I have watched him elevate people overnight. And I have watched him take everything from people overnight 
based upon things they did in secret that no one knew about but him. As sure as I'm sitting here, he is watching. Be comforted that the wife that's being faithful to her unfaithful, you know, spouse right now or being mistreated and you are taking it with love and patience and grace and not retaliating the things you're doing that no one else knows about the mundane obedience to the Lord with a cheerful heart. I promise you, he sees it. And it is in my opinion and my summation of, of what I've watched happen in my life. It's the main reason that he decided to hand me a microphone, if you will, or, you know, some, a platform um, to say something to this, to this culture. Uh, had I not been faithful uh, behind the scenes, I'm convinced that I would not be doing what I'm doing today in the public sphere. I think that's just absolutely beautiful. And um, it really brings to mind for me um, this Lent Somebody had mentioned, you know, as a mom, sometimes our sacrifice is not what we give up, but what we want to give up that we can't give up. Um, sorry, and now I'm tearing up because just like Reba, this is exactly what I needed to hear because this morning uh, I just had a meltdown with my husband and said, I, I'm an awful mom. I'm doing all these things wrong. Um, so like like Reba said, I know our listeners need to hear it, but but we definitely did too. But I thought that it was really fitting. This Lent, somebody said, sometimes your sacrifice is not being able to make the sacrifices you want to. Sometimes as a mom, your early sacrifices, that that season that you go through means, okay, I have three, five kids under five. I can't go out and pray at the abortion center right now. But in five years, I'll be able to do that with my kids. And pouring all my heart into these next five years at home when I can't take my kids out and minister in this specific way that I really feel called to pays dividends just like you're saying because it's planting those graces um because it is a sacrifice in and of itself even though it's a different kind of sacrifice um so I just I I want to kind of echo what you're saying and thank you for that and I and I also want to ask you um because this is a big thing for me is when did you get your kids started or, uh, you know, like I just said, you know, maybe when they're, they're a little too young to go to the abortion clinics, but how did, how did you guys kind of manage that? You've got 10 kids. They span a large range. How did you address some of kind of the ugliness that happens out in front of these abortion clinics so that your kids could learn to love being there? Because that's, I mean, that's what we want. That's what we want our kids to want. Um, so, so what did you do to have such a beautiful I mean, your kids just sound amazing. Yeah, they truly are. Um, and I give all glory to the Lord for that. Um, we we took our children out from the very beginning, um, even when they were young babies. And it was just a family ministry for us. Now, if there, were, if there had ever been danger to our children, we would not have taken them. I mean, like, I, there are certain... I don't take my children to bars at night to do ministry. Obviously I would, I wouldn't do that. It's a very good illustration. I think. Yeah. If we had ever felt that it was dangerous, you know, we would, we would not have done it. Um, Now there is some pushback for sure. And there is some, you know, conversation that can be tense, but to me, that was the way you wanted your children to get interaction with the things of the world. And, you know, you wanted them to see that, 
people, when they make sinful choices, it often results in brokenness in their lives. And to me, that was the exact way that I wanted my kids to see the brokenness was right there as, as the person was admitting, yeah, you know, I am not living according to God's word. I am having sex outside of marriage. And now here I find myself in this terribly desperate situation where I would actually walk into a place to take the life of my child. It gives you the perfect opportunity to show your child when you make sinful choices in rebellion to God, it is going to lead to these kind of consequences um, and, and a, a broken life that you do not want to live. And so to me, it was the perfect way. You know, they always say the homeschoolers are sheltered and they are not socialized. And my children, I said, you know, how can you say they're sheltered? I mean, I, I expose my children to arguments from atheists you know, out on the street all the time. Oh, we go to the abortion clinics. They're hearing the pro-abortion arguments. They're hearing the um, the arguments for um, against creationism and for evolution. You know, we would hear it all out there. And my children heard it. They heard both sides, and they saw mom standing for righteousness. And that was the the way in which I wanted my kids to be introduced to these things. Um, and to me, it just made them strong. It made them free thinkers. It taught them how to think through things um, and how to use, you know, reason and scripture in order to make sound arguments and come to sound conclusions. So I hope that answers your question. Oh, yeah, I think that's great. I think that's a, a really beautiful way of, of framing that. I think it's beautiful. I, I grew up in California, so it's there was some danger in terms of the couple of times my mom did take us to pray outside abortion clinics. So we had to stop at a young age. Um, but it is really encouraging. I like the perspective that, that you kind of gave in terms of the brokenness that happens when we sin. The pro-life movement is about life, but there's so much more that's interconnected and related to that. And I think that that's awesome. And, and as you said, A, homeschooling is not all the same thing. Um, for starters. So you can't say all homeschoolers are sheltered and antisocial. I was, m myself and my three siblings, we were all homeschooled and um, nobody would ever call any of us antisocial. We'd walk up to people and just start, you know, talking to them about anything under the sun. So I, I, I really appreciate you mentioning that. Um, I That kind of leads into one of my other questions too, is what would you say to encourage moms who are maybe on the fence or maybe not even considering homeschooling at all, um, what would you tell them? I know for me personally, it was the best experience and the best thing my mom ever did for us. And I love that it would give you the opportunity to, you know, it allows you to incorporate things into schooling, like going out and praying in front of the abortions clinic. Um, but what would, having done this with 10 kids um, or, you know, still doing it, what would you say to those moms? I would encourage the mom that's considering homeschooling that you can do it and that you do not need a degree in teaching to do it. Um, and that comes from someone who I graduated with an elementary education degree myself. And I can testify to the fact that even though I graduated with honors from a secular university uh, in elementary education, that when I graduated, I had no idea how to teach a child how to read. And the only way I learned how to teach a child how to read was when I taught my first child how to read in homeschooling. Yeah. Just because teachers have degrees and are straight A students and smart 
that does not mean they know what they're doing. My mom echoes that, Elizabeth. <laughs> My mom homeschooled all three of us, and um, she was in elementary ed, did that as well, and she would probably say the exact same thing. So it's nice to know it's not just her. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it was something that, you know, my dad wanted me to graduate from college, and so I knew I was going to homeschool my children, and I chose to go ahead for the elementary education degree. I remember Bill Clinton was president, and we were actually very concerned about our rights as homeschoolers during his presidency. There was there was a lot of chatter um, about our rights being threatened, and I thought, okay, well, I'll just get an elementary education degree, and at least I can be a certified teacher in case the law changes and you have to be a certified teacher in order to homeschool your children. So for me, it was about protecting my right to homeschool, and uh, when I graduated, like I said, I had no idea how to teach a child how to read. I mean, it's just something that you don't really understand until you do it and you get the experience under your belt. And so the reason I'm saying that is because I just had to figure it out like all of you moms out there are doing right now. Many of you moms who are homeschooling because of COVID and you never wanted to homeschool and you find yourself doing it and you feel like, well, this is so unfair. I'm not degreed in this. You know, I learned how to teach my kids just like you're learning how to teach them by doing it, trial and error. And for me, uh, our decision to homeschool was number one, I love my children and want to be with them full stop. <laughs> like you should not feel guilty for wanting to be with the, the humans that you brought into the world. I mean, I just don't want, I hate being away from my kids. I've yeah. always been that mom. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so they're the best thing about life and I, you shouldn't feel guilty about that. And so I wanted to be with them and did not want to part from them. And I think our society makes women feel like something's wrong with them if they feel that way. And I just say, kiss my grip. You didn't bring my child in the world. I did, you know? And so I wanted to be around them. And why do we have these children and then assume that this is the way it's got to be? Dad goes to work and mom goes to work and the kids go somewhere else, you know, to daycare or to school. I just, to me, it never really made sense. Although I do not judge anyone who makes that choice or obviously who's forced into that choice. But if you want to be with your children and you can, um, all day, every day. That was the choice that I wanted. No question, hands down. And it was a choice that my husband afforded me, thankfully. And, um, and that we, you know, agreed on before marriage even. So that was my number one reason. And then I just was very concerned about what happens with peers and peer pressure and peer interactions um, that are negative. And I did not want to completely shelter my children from decisions because those are going to happen regardless. And those are things that happen when my kids are even at church around young people, when my kids are at karate class or when my kids are at, you know, ball practice or dance lessons, whatever. Your kids are always going to have interactions with peers and decisions to make and choices to make. It wasn't about like closing them off and sequestering them. It was that I wanted to make sure that they got the kind of foundation and grounding um, until the point where they could, they were old enough and could really make wise decisions. So those were the two main things for me. It really wasn't what they were teaching in class because I felt pretty sure that I could inoculate them against those things, the stupidity, because truth is, truth is attractive and lies, you know, the lies of the radical left are just ignorant and they're not that hard to to disprove so I wasn't really worried about that it was more the peers 
And it was just, I wanted to be with my kids. Well, and, and kind of to what you were talking about. So, um, I've got two little ones and we actually, um, started because we really wanted some time with family as well as other kids. We did a, we started a a little homeschool co-op that we meet on Thursdays and, um, there's just four of us moms. We've got 10 kids. Well, two in utero. So we've got 12 kids under the age of five. It's really fun and it's enjoyable and we get to do lessons and play together. But one of the things that we've talked about is that how grateful we are that we know that all of us are going to spend the time to deal with, you know, if if the kid's being a little bit mean or, or something's happening that we all get to take that time and point them to Christ. Um, and so they still have those experiences. Um, they're still, they still have them. Obviously kids are kids. We're human. We're going to do things like that. People are going to be mean. Um, but we're so grateful that we get to have that moment where you get to sit down and have a conversation with these kids and help them work through it. Um, and so we, we started this at the beginning. Not yeah. going to allow your children to be oppressed by bullies. Yeah. Whereas we can't necessarily count on that um, in a public school scenario. You know, hopefully yeah. you can. Yeah. But yeah. It, you're far more likely in a homeschool environment, a co-op environment, or even a Christian school environment, um, being in a situation where the rights of the oppressed are going to be upheld and justice and righteousness is going to be pursued. So that's very important to me. And you're going to have those interactions anywhere in church, wherever you are. So we're not, again, not sequestering our kids away from those things. Um, But you in your co-op situation that you're mentioning, which is terrific, and I've done co-op as well. Um, you have a lot more say and control in that situation. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit because um, we we had this uh, question just kind of with um, COVID. You mentioned earlier uh, the vaccine or shot, as we're calling it. Um, other hot button issues that have kind of come up in the last year that's happening in our nation um, with the, you know, as they're calling it, Biden-Harris administration, apparently. Um, Kind of what are you doing to educate the public on the reality of what's happening, what we can do about it, kind of what's going on with you and your ministry right now? When my kids and I are forced to wear a mask, we wear a mask. Uh, Certain establishments forced you to wear a mask, we wear wear it. Um, We obviously enjoy going places where we do not have to wear them. Um, I live on acreage. And so it's funny, sometimes we forget because we just live out in the country and we never, obviously never have masks on uh, around our house or on our own acreage and you just get used to it. And so sometimes even at a restaurant or whatever, you know, we have to remind ourselves and and grab our mask if they're insisting on wearing it. But, you know, um, I mean, there's a concern about the vaccines. Uh, They've been rushed um, we are guinea pigs. Our children are guinea pigs. And that is a real concern. Uh, also, there are vaccines that are made from aborted fetal tissue. Uh, this is not some conspiracy theory. This is actual uh, medical, uh, medically confirmed that, and um, your listeners know this stuff, um, and Catholics are amazing on uh the pro-life issues and the vaccine issues. They know more about this than most evangelicals do. Um, 
but definitely there is a concern. I know, I think the Johnson Johnson vaccine is made from abortive field tissue. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. I'm actually not sure about the other strains, uh, but yeah. it's very common. I, I know that like at least five of the mandated vaccines, I'm not talking about COVID. I'm just talking about pre-COVID. Uh, I think five of the mandated vaccines that typically you have to take to go to public school or whatever uh, are made from aborted fetal tissue. And so that becomes an actual moral issue, not just a medical issue, but a, a moral issue for a lot of families. And so um, knowledge is power. Educate yourself. I know Children of God for Life website is one that we appointed people to before that has a lot of information about vaccines made from aborted fetal tissue, letting you know what your rights are, uh, letting you know what you can do to um, object on religious grounds to vaccines. Um, I think you'll find good information there at Children of God for Life. Or if you guys have anywhere you want to point the listener right now, you know, feel, feel free to take the opportunity to do that right now because it's super important that people get educated and they're not going to find this stuff. And even if they search for it on Google, Google's going to hide it yeah. um, with their algorithms and whatnot. And so if you have anywhere to lead your listeners, feel free to do so. Actually, um, we had Pamela Acker on a couple episodes ago, um, and she spoke quite extensively on the aborted fetal cells in, in vaccine research and in the ingredients as well. Um, and she mentioned Children of God for Life as well. So They're um, a very good resource. So that's awesome. Thank you for that. I, I feel you on the um, living kind of in, a, in the country or kind of secluded from from all of this because <laughs> I do I live in a tiny town well we live we live a few several minutes outside of town but when we go into town and there's really not that many places um that's really following any of it anymore and uh those that do um it kind of surprises me <laughs> yeah and I mean that's another thing is it totally depends on where you live yeah. and what state yep. you're in and who your governor is um yeah. it just it varies so much and the science has been so unclear and all over the board. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate you mentioning about the the vaccines as well, though. We've been we've been talking about that um, quite a bit on our podcast as the aborted fetal cells um, and kind of how to navigate that as moms, because like you said, it's a it's a moral issue, not just a medical issue. And that's it's a challenging one to navigate and it's a challenging one to um to find the right information on. So I, um, I appreciate that. So, um, one last thing, I think I'd love to kind of hear, um, shifting gears a little bit, uh, before we wrap up, I don't want to take too much of your time, but, um, what does it look like for you to kind of snag that quiet time and time in prayer? Um, I think we've talked about that, um, kind of as a group, um, how to make that work and, and make that happen and prioritize that. So I'd love to hear kind of what you do and how do you make that work with all of your kiddos and homeschooling and, and everything? You know, I have um, always struggled with being an early riser. And so I am a super major night owl. And I'll, I'll be honest, I have a little bit of guilt for that. I'm not proud of that. I've always wanted to be an early riser, but I just got into habits in college that I never changed. Um, and so I tend to, to do more time with the Lord at night once my kids are uh, settled. Although that is getting really challenging right now because <laughs> I'm entering a phase of life where I have so many kids that are all, also older. You know, I've got the the 17-year-old and the 19-year-old in the house that 
are up really late, tending toward the more night nighttime uh, hours. And so that's getting challenging. And I can't say that I have that one um, mapped out correctly right now. But um, once the little ones are down and, and the older ones are doing whatever they're doing, it's a better time for me personally to have some quiet time with the Lord. Um, I just can't seem to get up early enough to be up before my youngest ones are up. That's my problem. Uh, but that is what, man, if you can get up early uh, and get into that discipline, that's to me the ideal is to be up an hour before your children are. I think another reason that I really struggled with that is because I was nursing a baby for almost 20 years, okay, constantly a new baby that I was nursing. And so the pattern I got into, and I'm sure you can relate, is uh, being up through the night nursing a baby and being so exhausted that I yep. could not get out of bed earlier than my children. I mean, you just drag yourself out of bed when the, when the toddler is like banging you over the head <laughs> asking for breakfast. Yeah. I always joke that that's, that the nursing mom, that's the only reason, like that's, that's why God has you get up at night is just obviously to feed your child. But that's the best time to pray is when you're sitting there half awake trying to, trying to stay awake to nurse your child. <laughs> For sure. But I mean, if you were like me, you're you're laying in bed nursing your child and you're falling asleep while they're nursing. <laughs> <in trouble. laughs> but it's a very fitful sleep. And yes, I know that's controversial. A lot of moms are, you know, against uh, sleeping with your child while you're nursing. But uh, confession, <laughs> yes, I did it for years. And, uh, so anyway, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that really affected my pattern for many years as well. And so again, no guilt, um, you're doing the best you can and the Lord knows that and he knows you love him <laughs> and he knows you want more time with him. And so just snag time wherever you can, even if kids are running around screaming, um, but again, night might be better for you and don't guilt yourself over when, when you do it, just try to find that time with the Lord. He knows your heart. He's not angry with you. If you didn't have your time with him, uh, on any given day. Um, but certainly if you can get into a habit of prioritizing it, uh, I highly recommend it. And, uh, unfortunately for me, that tends tends to be at night. So <laughs> I was just going to say, I remember growing up, um, my mom had six kids it's, and I'm the youngest. And I just always remember her um, just throughout the day, like as things would happen, she would just pray out loud, like really quick. <laughs> so if, if we were having car problems, she would just say, okay, Lord, I don't know how to do this or I don't know what, you know, and, and it was just like a quick little prayer talking to the Lord out loud in front of us. And, um, I just always remember that. And, and sometimes we would always be like, gosh, mom, okay, you're kind of weird. Um, but now as, as a mom myself, and it's like, you almost, you just have to, it's like a constant conversation with our Lord all day long, because that's just how it is as a mom. I think sometimes we just feel guilty, like you said, of feeling like we have, we, gosh, I can't make the time. You know, I can't wake up early. I'm struggling with, you know, setting aside an extra 30 minutes or an hour or whatever it may be. Um, but in this season that we're in, sometimes all we can do is just, you know, pray throughout the day, pray through everything and just having that conversation um, with God in every little moment. And I think you're so right that God sees that. Yeah. My 12 year old said something funny to me the other day. Um, 
So I often, when I get up in the morning and we start our day, we, we have uh, family time together where we just start our day out reading a chapter of the Bible together. Everybody reads two verses around in the circle and discuss anything that we want to discuss about it. And then we uh, pray together and, um, and I'll turn on my um, worship music on like YouTube or something on my TV in my bedroom. We only have a TV in my bedroom and I'll turn it on and get to work throughout the day. Maybe I'm homeschooling the kids in the background. Maybe I'm doing finances and paperwork at my desk. And, but that's, a lot of that happens in my bedroom. And so I was exiting my bedroom the other day and I pray, like you said, with your mom, I pray out loud. Um, I don't care if my kids can hear, I'm just, you know, whatever, getting down to business, doing war, spiritual warfare, and I'm doing it out loud. And, you know, to me, Hey, that's great for your kids to hear. And so I, I, I round the corner of my bedroom, walk out in the hallway and my daughter's standing there and, you know, I'm just praying. And she said, mom, I don't think I've been going through some intense, personal stuff for a year now. And she said, mom, I don't think the last year I've seen you come out of your bedtime one time when you were not praying out loud, <laughs> you know, and she was kind of like being, being cute about it or a little sarcastic about it. Little, little saucy, you know, but I thought, okay, that's a good compliment. I'll take that one. <laughs> so grab, grab the time for sure. All the time. Anytime's a good time. He says to, to continually uh, pray without ceasing and give thanks to him. I think that is just so beautiful and so encouraging. And that that kind of spills over into to one last question that I have for you. Um, it's really clear that you have and you're living your vocation. You can tell by your vivacity, by your joy, just by everything about you that you are where God wants you to be and you are following and listening to him. And But I, I do want to touch on, you said that when you went to school, your dad wanted you to get a degree, but you, you wanted to homeschool your kids. Did, did that mean you, you always had the intention of being a stay-at-home mom? I actually did. I, that's all I ever aspired to do. And I, I know a lot of women struggle with being content with that, but I was just so proud of that. And I was so happy and content with that. And I felt like it was just my, my purpose. To me, if I was raising up world changers, that was such an incredible contribution. I mean, Jesus raised up 12 disciples and, you know, by spending a lot of time and investing in focusing on 12 people. And I just thought, wow, they, the Bible says they turned the world upside down. And we know that today that they turned the world upside down. And if I could do that with 10 people, that would just be an incredible life mission. And so I was super content to do that the rest of my life. I think that's beautiful. And and my question that you already answered was how to encourage moms who may feel guilty because our culture tells us all the time, oh, you need to work. You got to put your kids in daycare or, you know, you got to send your kids to school and then you should work part time while they're in school. And and I think that that's really, you know, some some of us need to work. Some people do work. I'm not faulting mm -hmm. anybody who does work. I just think that for a lot of moms we have this deep desire to just be, not to just, but to be a stay-at-home mom, to focus on our home. But we, we give that up because our culture tells us that it's wrong. And so I think it's beautiful and I appreciate your answer. I hope some other listeners can find it encouraging to, um, you know, live that and not be afraid to, to really focus on your home, to not feel guilty because the culture tells you you're not, 
you know, being strong enough or being independent enough or et cetera, et cetera, whatever dumb excuses the culture wants to throw at us. Search the reason why you are feeling like you have to do that. If you are feeling that you have to have a career, if you literally have to have a career, I, I mean, that's kudos to you, more power to you. But if you're doing it because of pressure and societal norms, I guess it's a fear of man issue. And you want to ask the Lord to help you follow his voice, not the voice of culture. That is so beautiful. That is so beautiful. Wow. Elizabeth, this has just been an amazing, amazing episode. I, I think we all have really been touched by this. And I really hope that it's touched our listeners um, as much as it has the three of us. Yeah, I agree. I have really enjoyed speaking with you all and you helped me take a stroll down memory lane. That was fun. Well, good. Well, I just want to thank you so much for joining us today, Elizabeth. Um, I loved hearing everything that you said. I think there was just so much goodness and encouragement, um, along with some practical tips. Um, So we'll be praying for you and your family, as well as your ministry. I'm so thankful for this conversation. It was such a good episode. Um, So thank you so much. Thank you for your prayers. I really appreciate it. And again, just want to want to honor you all for everything that you are doing and encourage your listeners. You are killing it, mom. You're doing a great job. Um, just rest in the Lord and love on those babies. Um, that is so close to the heart of Jesus. And don't ever let anyone make you feel guilty for that. Really fast though, Elizabeth, where, um, I think most of our listeners are familiar with your work, but for anybody who's not, where can they go to read more about you, get your blogs, check out your books, where, where would you send them? And wherever you say, we'll put a link in the bio. ElizabethJohnston.org is my website. And Johnston is spelled with a T-O-N. And uh, anything as far as blog or if, you know, you want to book me for a speaking engagement or um, read the blog articles or donate, everything, the book, it's all right there. So ElizabethJohnston.org is how you connect with us. And please, if you're not signed up to get my um, newsletters, my emails, uh, sign up. We don't spam you or overwhelm you, but we do um, kind of like LifeSite. We post articles on the burning issues of the day that we want our followers to be you know, educated on. And so having, um, subscribing to that newsletter, even if I get deleted off of Facebook or censored from, you know, Instagram or Twitter, you can always get Stay connected with our blog articles if you sign up for the newsletter. Thank you so much. Yeah, we'll put all of the links in in the uh, podcast description so people will be able to find it too. Thank you, guys. God bless you. God bless you. Bye-bye.